You can have a seat. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. Oh, first, fourth and fifth graders. You can head out that door over there and meet your leaders and go to kids ministry. That was close. All right. I was just thinking about that song. I love that song so much because uh, it's such a broad song. It talks about creation, talks about Moses, the prophets, talks about the birth of Christ, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the birth of the church. All of that is, it's, it's this big story that God is writing that we read in the scriptures. And, and really today is all about story. Uh, and so it's appropriate we sing that song that kind of tells the story of God because we're talking about stories today. Uh, and I want to, in particular, engage you in your story. I don't know if you often think about your life as story, right? That there is something, like there has been these movements, these chapters, these, these seasons of your life that are actually all connected and bring you to who you are today, right now. Um, Often when I meet someone new and I'm spending some time with them, sometimes it's, oh, we want to get our child baptized. And I want to say, great, let's, I make them sit with the pastor, right? And, and, and uh, or if they're just new to the church or somebody I'm just meeting for the first time or talking. And one of the first things I almost always ask people is, tell me your story. In particular, I'd love to hear your story uh, of your journey with God. Tell me that story. Um, I love it. They may feel anxious. I don't know, but uh, it's how I get to know people. But 99.9% of the time when I ask that question, tell me the story of your journey with God. What I get is a story of church attendance. People say, well, I used to go to this church, or I grew up going to this church, or, you know, I never really spent much time in church, and now I'm at your church. Uh, That's usually how the interaction goes. And I say, oh, that's great. Now tell me your story of your relationship with God, right? I ask for this story, and, and what you tell me is where you attended church. And that's a Venn diagram that I kind of can understand. Uh, our faith communities play a huge role in telling the story of our spiritual journey, but those are not the same stories, are they? Because there are, in your story with God, there are moments of realization. There are ahas that change you. In your story with God, there are times of distance and silence. There are chapters of pain and joy, seasons of growth, of revitalization. All of those things make up your story with God. They are the paragraphs and the pages and the chapters. When we talk about our story of God, all of that fits in there. So I don't know, maybe people are just trying to condense their story a little bit when they talk, right? But how do you tell that story? Maybe it's a long one, maybe it's a short one, but how do you talk about yourself and your journey with God? If I asked you today, tell me the story of your relationship with the Lord, how would you tell that story? And more importantly, what I want to talk about today is where would you start that story? Because I believe where we start that story really, really matters. And so today I want to open the Bible and I want to look at two men who are meeting Jesus on a roadside. Uh, And first I want to observe how they talk about their story with God. And then I want to look at how Jesus responds to them and how Jesus tells his story, his own story. And then finally, I just want to give you a different frame for telling that story. Maybe a new cover for that book, right? Um, But that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go to Luke chapter 24. Uh, If you want to open a Bible and follow along, you can. I'll 
of course, have it on the screen here. Uh, But Luke chapter 24 is sort of getting to the end of this gospel story in Luke. And at the end of the story, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, um, we have this particular scene that happens on a roadside. And in verse 13, this is how it goes. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So you have two guys walking on the road between Emmaus and Jerusalem, and they're having a conversation, the scripture says, about everything that had happened. And so if you're following the story in the Gospels, you realize that all of the Jewish people were together for the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. And uh, so the people come to this, uh, from wherever their hometown is, they come to this Passover festival. uh, And it's during this festival that followers of Jesus had this experience where he was crucified uh, and, and was buried in a tomb. And at this point, not everybody knew he had risen from the dead and that the tomb was empty. And so the festival is now done. These two men, disciples, were walking home talking about Jesus. They were uh, there while Jesus was arrested, while he was crucified, while he died, while he was buried. And the last thing they probably heard about Jesus was, oh man, the tomb they put him in is empty. Somebody stole the body. So that's a real bummer for these guys, right? And Jesus shows up in resurrected form and uh, supernaturally they are kept from recognizing him. They don't recognize him at all. And then this is how the story continues. Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know about the things that have happened there in these days? It's a bold thing to say to Jesus. Hey man, where have you been, right? Jesus is like, I was busy, right? What things, he asked. Jesus plays along. And then they answered, uh, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So they tell the story. The women said they saw him, but their other friends didn't. So they don't know what to believe anymore. So Jesus kind of plays dumb, right? He plays along with them and, and he gets them to talk about their story. He's asking them about their experience. And I want to notice something about how they tell the story. Because it really stood out to me when I listened uh, to Cleopas talk, right? And respond to them about how they talk about all these things that happened. I don't know if you noticed it. Our rulers handed Jesus over. Uh, Our women surprised us. Our friends, our companions went to go look. And we had hoped that this was going to be what we wanted. The way they tell the story 
always starts with themselves. It's our story that they're telling, right? It's our hopes that we're sharing with you. This is all starting with me. I wonder if one of the reasons they cannot recognize Jesus is because they are so focused on themselves. Certainly they are telling the story about God's son, but they're telling the story in a way that God's son fits into their story. Uh, It's sort of like an actor who has no idea what's going on in the production outside of his or her own lines, right? I don't know if you ever have this, but I get surprised when like a famous actor tells you they don't watch their own movies. Um, Like Tom Hanks has said in interviews that he actually believes that watching his own movies is a huge mistake and he'll never do it, right? Uh, Adam Driver, who's a real up-and-coming uh, famous like actor now, he never watches his own movies. In fact, there's a movie where it's a musical and he's singing in it. Uh, and most famously, he walked out of an NPR interview when they were playing him singing. He's like, I can't, can't do it, right? These guys are missing out on great movies. I don't know what their deal is. But when I was really young, I used to do some like community theater plays, mostly because my mom was super engaged in it. And every once in a while, they had a production that needed a kid, right? So she's like, you're coming to rehearsal and you're the kid in this play. Uh, and I remember doing those shows. I don't remember much about them, but I remember I would sit backstage for like hours, right? And kind of in the dark with my little flashlight, reading comic books or playing with toys, uh, just being quiet. I often fell asleep back there, right? Uh, and, and then, um, you know, I would come on stage for my lines, all right? I would come through the door and I would pretend to act and do all that stuff. And then I would go backstage. I literally never saw the whole play. I don't, to this day, I don't know what was going on in these plays. Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you anything about them. Because all I saw, all I experienced was my own story in the play. And I know it's kind of hard for us to see around. We're so used to this. But I think it's a foundational flaw that most, if not all of us, walk around with every single day. When we tell a story about anything, we always start with ourselves. And when it comes to talking about God, we also start with ourselves. We fit God into our story, just like these two guys walking alongside of the road. And I think it's worth taking time to consider how you tend to talk about God about how much of how you talk about God is actually talking about you. Problems you want solved. Questions you want answers to. Prayers you want answered. Struggles you want changed in your life. Now listen, it is not wrong to have those questions, those struggles, those prayers. All of that is normal. But what I'm trying to notice is how often we shove God into our story. We're the main actor on the stage. And we just bring him out from backstage where he was reading comic books and playing with toys and falling asleep when we need him in the scene. I think we might be missing the rest of a really, really good story. So let's keep moving forward in Luke because I love how Jesus responds to these these two guys. 
Uh, and so in chapter, at verse 25, he says, and he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So first thing Jesus does is he calls them fools, right? And then what Jesus does, in order to open this whole thing up to them, he starts to tell his story. Let me tell you all the things concerning myself. But notice that when Jesus tells his story, he doesn't start with Christmas morning, right? He doesn't start with a manger uh, in, in a stable with wise men and shepherds and bright stars. He doesn't start there at all. Jesus starts with Moses and the prophets. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he started to tell them the story. Not just his story, the story. Now, Moses and the prophets is essentially, it's a shorthand in their culture. It basically means the Torah, which is the scriptures that they have uh, as a a people at this time, what we would call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of, of our Bible. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Torah. The climactic moment of the Torah like the pinnacle of, of, of these five books, takes place when God himself meets his people on Mount Sinai. God comes down and, and, and meets with his people, and he gives them instructions on how to be God's people and how to be God's people for, for themselves and for the world, right? And so this all takes place after they are rescued by God out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And everything in the Torah that comes before this moment is about what leads up to it. And everything after is about how they live that out, reflecting on that moment. And so the story takes its climax at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Exodus contains this defining moment for God's people. So when Jesus says, or when the scripture says Jesus starts with Moses and the prophets, he's starting sort of with this defining moment uh, of people in Exodus. But here's what's interesting, is that he also doesn't just start with, well, there was this day on Mount Sinai. Because when he's referencing the Torah, he's talking about all of it. And so today we're actually beginning the next 40-week series, which is a lot. We've broken them down into mini-series, on the book of Genesis. Last year we spent all year uh, on the book of Matthew, and today we're starting on the book of Genesis. That will take us all the way into next fall. And why do we start with Genesis if Jesus seems to be talking about Exodus? Because Genesis is the beginning of the whole Torah. And whenever Jesus tells his story... He begins not with his birth. He goes all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis. But what's interesting is Jesus is not the only one that does this. Genesis is how Jesus starts his story, but it's also how his people start his story. Uh, The book of John, the author of John writes the, the first words of his gospel like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if that sounds familiar to you when you hear it, it's because John is directly quoting in his 
opening words of his gospel, he is quoting the opening words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when John starts to talk about Jesus, he, like Jesus, starts his story at the beginning. But it's not just Jesus who does that. It's not just John who does that. Matthew does it too. In fact, if you remember 13 months ago when we started this journey in Matthew, Matthew starts his story of Jesus with a genealogy. And that genealogy goes all the way back to Abraham, whose story takes place in Genesis. But it's not just Jesus who starts there or John or Matthew. Luke does the same thing too. In Luke chapter three, he also chooses to start his story with a genealogy talking about who came before who. And he traces his all the way back to Adam, the first human we see in the book of Genesis. But it's not just the gospels. The apostle Paul, who is a follower of Jesus, who traveled all of the world starting these churches in the first century and beyond. In Acts 17, he meets a group of people who have never heard about Jesus. And where does he start explaining Jesus to them? In Acts 17, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather... He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should choose to inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So he tells the story of the making of heaven and earth. That's Genesis. He tells the story of one man becoming all nations. That's in Genesis. When Jesus tells his story, he does not start at the beginning of his story. He starts at the beginning of God's story. When the gospel writers, the prophets, or Paul, or the evangelist tells the story of Jesus, he doesn't start at the beginning of his story. He starts at the beginning of God's story. Maybe we should start our stories there too. In fact, I would say that there's probably uh, a tension, uh, a war of stories in your heart. There There is one story that starts with us, that starts with you, that tells you that you are worthy when you win that tells you that when you accomplish or when you do things right, when you work hard, when you produce, when you are a good person, that then you're okay. And that story is all about you. It's all about you as an individual. But there's another story that's tugging at our heart, a story that starts with God, that is a story of God's people and you being one of them, a story that starts with a God who created all things. A God who created you to be connected and in relationship with him. A God that knits us together as a community. A God who is not surprised by your failures or your shortcomings. A God who would go to any length to stay in relationship with you. And so this year we are preaching through the book of Genesis. Because we find that all of our stories begin with God's story including yours. And so as we do that, additionally, I just want to give you a little commercial. Uh, I want to let you know that we have some devotionals available for you. 
this book contains daily devotionals for every mini series we'll do through the book of Genesis for the next, you know, nine months or so. Uh, you can use them personally in your own devotions. You can use them as a family or in a group, however you want. Um, we just simply ask that you help us cover the cost of producing these. Uh, it's about 10 bucks. Uh, and uh, we'll have them at a table in the back throughout this whole series. Uh, if you can't afford the price, let us know. We don't want you to go without if that's a barrier for you. But if you've been here for a while, you know how much we love God's story how much we engage it, how much we sit in it. Our sermons are not about being self-help stories, but they are grounded and rooted in God's story. And we start with God's story and we want you to do that as well. So this is just a simple tool to kind of help you do that in your own personal life. But whether you use this tool or not, I would encourage you to take some time to think about how you tell your story. Do you tell it about when you found God? Or do you tell it about when God found you as he's been looking for you and chasing you down? Because when we tell our story, most of us start with ourselves. We start with our hopes, our dreams, our expectations, our pain, and then we bring God in from backstage. But Jesus starts with God's story and he locates himself in it. I want to add one last thought today. Um, I want to give you a frame a little bit to how, to how to find yourself in God's story. Because what you will find when you anchor yourself in a place like Genesis, as we will find over the next few months, God's story is always a personal story. I think it can be really, really easy to lose ourselves when we think that big, right? God, what God's doing is so big and so beyond me that, you know, do I even matter? But you do. God's story is a very personal one. It's filled with other stories that help us make sense of our stories. Stories of people that are human, but are also uh, heroes of the story that doubt and question and fail. Right? God makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, and in the very next moment, Genesis tells us that Abraham is trying to sell off of his wife to save his own skin. And he's the hero of the story. There's stories of really complicated journeys of things like pregnancy. Stories of Abraham and Sarah who are childless for decades. And then God says, you're going to have a son. And they're overjoyed when they hear this news. And God sees us in our pain and celebrates with us in our joy around all the things having to do with parenting. Stories of betrayal and anger. Uh, there's a story of anger that poisoned the relationship of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, a story that might be 5,000 years old, but I think has a, so much to be relevant to you today about how forgiveness works. There's stories of dysfunctional families. Because if God can put together the story of Joseph and his family, bring them in relationship to each other, after they literally sold him as a slave... It gives us hope that our families can somehow find hope too. God's story is always personal. And you matter to that story. Because when, when you start your story with you, it's kind of you suffering alone. But when you start the world or start your story with God's story, you find lots of people are in the same boat with you. You're not alone. In fact, you'll find that you've got lots of company from thousands and thousands of years, and that you matter in God's story. 
In fact, there's a rabbi named Jonathan Sachs, uh, and, and I love the way he describes Genesis as a book in this quote. He says, by placing the stories of Genesis before the book of Exodus, with its story of the Israel, birth of the Israelites as a nation, the Torah is implicitly telling us of the primacy of the personal over the political. Exodus is about the big themes, slavery and freedom, miracles, deliverances, the rescue of an entire people from oppression and their wondrous journey through the sea and the wilderness. It is about law and liberty and justice and the nature of Israel as a nation under the sovereignty of God. But by focusing first on individuals and their relationships, Genesis reminds us of the complexity of the human heart which no political order in and of itself can resolve. If we cannot create peace or justice or compassion within the family, we will be unable to do so within the the nation or the world. The human heart is complex and your story is complex. How important you must be to God that he would start his story and put you into it. Unlike a movie or a play, we don't sit there and watch the story unfold. We are part of it. Listen to how Paul writes about this idea to all of his churches that he's planting. In Ephesians, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared things for you before you were even born. In Philippians, he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And in Colossians, he says, to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Our story doesn't just start in God's story. Our story continues God's story. We pick up the pen and we write the next scene. We write the next chapter of God's story. Us, we do that. You do that. I do that. He doesn't need you to do that, but he has chosen you to do that. To work out his story through your life. You matter immensely to God's story. God has taken the biggest story imaginable and is working it out, writing the next sentence every single day through you. Think back to yesterday. What did you do yesterday? How did you write God's story even when you were unaware of it? How were you doing that last week? Think back to the conversation, the last conversation you had with your significant other. The last meeting you had with your boss. The last interaction you had with your teenager. How were you writing God's story in that moment? I wonder if we realize that the story of God is not finished being written. I wonder if you realize how how intricate a role you play in the next chapter of that story. And as we read this book of Genesis, you're going to study some old stories. But these are not just old stories. They're our stories. We'll find ourselves in the midst of these ancient people. And so that's the lens I just want to give you today. First, to start with God's story and find how he's brought you into it. And second, to realize how much you matter to that story as it continues on. To consider maybe how you write the next chapter. How you start your story matters. So I just want to finish. I don't want to end yet in in that Luke story. Uh, as, As we transition to a time of communion together, I want to just read 
uh, the last bit of that story with these two men on the side of the road with, Je- uh, road with Jesus. In verse 30, it says, uh, they had brought Jesus back with them as he traveled. And when he was at the table with them, Jesus sitting with these two men, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their eyes were opened. I love that language. He broke bread with them. He gave it to them. And suddenly they were aware of a story so much bigger than their own. Were not our hearts burning within us? Was not a story brewing within us that we were unaware of and now we finally see. And that's our hope for you. To open your eyes to a story that God is is working out through you. And so we're going to take a moment together to break bread together. And hope that our eyes are opened, that we recognize Jesus, that we recognize him actively working in our lives right now as the Apostle Paul wrote. So when we do this, when we practice a sacrament together, we celebrate and remember that each of our stories joined God's story. For some of you, it was a really long time ago. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. For some of you, it was more recent. And for some of us, maybe in the room, it's right now that you're realizing it for the very first time. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we recognize both the promise of new life at the end of the story, but also... God's invitation to us right now to respond to his grace and become part of his story. It is a reminder that we continue to write that with him. So today, how we're going to do this, we have four stations in each of the corners of the room uh, that are set up for you. We have gluten-free bread in that station in the back corner. Uh, And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to get up and move to whatever station you want. Doesn't even have to be the one that's closest to you. There's a lot of you in the room here. It's going to be going to rub shoulders with other people who are writing their story alongside of you, and that's okay. Uh, But be patient. Take your time as you need to. Uh, And as you come to these stations, you'll get a piece of bread. And as you take that bread, dip it in the juice and take that together. And when you've finished, simply return to your seat. There's no rush. Take a moment to ask God maybe what he's asking out of your next chapter. Um, If you have chosen to take that step towards Christ, then we want to invite you to participate. If that's not you today, if for some reason you would say, uh, my story and God's story are not connected at all, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Uh, You may just rather choose to sit in your seat and perhaps reflect on what you've heard today. But as we do this, I just want to share the words of the Apostle Paul. As he writes, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, similar to our friends on the Emmaus Road, and he broke it. And we had given thanks. He had said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you write the next chapter of his story until he returns. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we are grateful today 
Not just for the sacrifice you have made on the cross so we can be in relationship with the Lord, but for the ways in which you have brought us into a much, much bigger story. Lord, we confess that we usually start our stories with ourselves, that we are the actor on the stage in the spotlight, and we recognize, God, that there is so much more for us that we don't see. So, Lord, open our eyes. Just as uh, when these friends on the side of the road met with Jesus and, and, and ate their bread, their eyes were opened. I pray that our eyes would be open today to what you are saying to us, what you're doing in our lives, and how much you love us, how important we are to your story. We bless you. We praise you. We are thankful that you love us so much. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.